Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. President Trump gave one of the longest State of the Union speeches ever on Tuesday night, and it was filled with the usual racist lies about immigrants, the usual belligerence and warmongering in relation to Iran, and the usual BS about making America great again. But he also took time out to slam the S-word. Yes, socialism. It's always a shock when you hear that kind of resurgence of Cold War rhetoric uh, in in a contemporary administration. That's my guest today, Elizabeth Brunig of The Washington Post, author of the op-eds It's Time to Give Socialism a Try and It's Time to Reclaim Socialism from the Dirty Word category. Well, we're going to try and do both on the show today. This week on Deconstructed, who's really afraid of socialism? Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination, and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Donald Trump speaking on Tuesday night at his belated State of the Union address in Congress. His mention of the word socialism got booze from the Republican side. His pledge to never allow America to become a socialist country got applause and a standing ovation from a fair few people on the Democratic side too, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Because the US, of course, is the only advanced industrialised nation whose political system has never had a large mainstream socialist or even social democratic political party, such as the Labour Party in the UK or the French Socialist Party. The German sociologist Werner Sombart famously asked back in the 1880s, why is there no socialism in the United States? These days, though, after a half a century of being demonised by cold warriors and tainted in the eyes of ordinary Americans by its association with the Soviets and the Cubans, socialism seems to be on the ascendant here in the US. The S-word is all over the media, and it's fair to say that people on the right, in the centre, and on the centre-left of American politics are spooked by the rise of socialism. There's an alarming trend. You know, 53% of young American adults say they have a favorable attitude towards socialism. (laughs) That's troubling. The rise of socialism has never been more clear. Young people actually prefer socialism. In 2016, independent senator and proud socialist Bernie Sanders took America by storm in the Democratic primaries. He won 13 million votes. Yeah, a socialist in the U.S. And he didn't hide his socialism either. How can any kind of socialist win a general election in the United States? Well, we're going to win because first we're going to explain what democratic socialism is. And what democratic socialism is about is saying that it is immoral and wrong 
that the top one-tenth of one percent in this country own almost as much wealth as the bottom 90%. Since 2016, Bernie's only become more popular, as has his socialist agenda. Single-payer universal health care, for example, which Senator Kamala Harris was defending on a CNN town hall just the other week. Debt-free college, a higher minimum wage, better regulation of the banks higher taxes on the rich. In 2018, we saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib, both proud members of the Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA, the country's largest grassroots socialist organization, get elected to Congress. AOC is now one of the best known and most popular figures on the left and really knows how to sell socialism without the economic jargon, without the arguments over, is it public ownership or is it just higher taxes? In a way that's easily understandable, and easily supportable. You describe yourself as a democratic socialist, and that's not an easy term for a lot of Americans. What is the meaning of that for you? What does socialist mean to you? For me, so for me, uh, democratic socialism is about really the value for me is that I believe that in a modern, moral, and wealthy society, no person in America should be too poor to live. That's what I think. By the way, I'm not pretending that socialism isn't a contested term, that there aren't arguments even within the left about what it means or how to define it. But I think it's fair to say that one of the core principles of socialism is equality. It's about trying to achieve a more equal society in terms of power, wealth and income. That's why I define myself as a socialist, because I'm outraged by inequality. And I happen to grow up in a country, Britain, where socialism gave us much-needed universal health care. And that's why a lot of Americans who live in one of the most unequal societies in the West, where the 1% keep gobbling up more and more wealth, especially since the financial crash, are turning towards socialism, or at least socialist policies. Look at public opinion, which is shifting fast on this whole issue, especially among young people. A majority of US millennials prefer socialism to capitalism. For the first time in decades, according to Gallup, Democratic voters have a more positive image of socialism than they do of capitalism. Axios reported this week that new polling out of Iowa, Iowa, showing that socialism has a net positive rating with Democrats on the ground there, while capitalism has a net negative rating, has made Joe Biden... Michael Bloomberg and Terry McAuliffe, all so-called centrists, have second thoughts about running for the Democratic Party presidential nomination. Hooray! So it's no wonder that there's a backlash from the political establishment, not just from know-nothings like Trump, who, let's be honest, couldn't define socialism if his life depended on it, but also from plenty of prominent Democrats, too, who have led the charge against socialism and in defence of good old capitalism. For example, Nancy Pelosi. I wonder if there's anywhere you feel that the Democrats could move farther left to a more populist message. Well, I thank you for your question, uh, but I have to say we're capitalist. And that's just the way it is. And Senator Elizabeth Warren, perhaps the candidate closest to Bernie Sanders in terms of lefty ideology, but not a socialist herself. You don't think capitalists are bad people? I'm a capitalist. Come on. I believe in markets. Then there's former Republican mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, who now is thinking of running for president as a Democrat, speaking just last week and sounding a lot like Trump. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about our system. If you want to look at a system that's non-capitalistic, just take a look at what was perhaps the wealthiest country in the world. And today people are starving to death. It's called Venezuela. 
Let's just deal briefly with this Venezuela smear, because that's what it is. A lazy, dishonest, dumb smear. Venezuela is in the midst of a massive political, economic, social, humanitarian crisis. The economy is tanking, undeniably so. But to chalk that all up to the country's association with socialism is absurd. Because number one, under the late President Hugo Chavez, for all his sins, there were huge advances made in Venezuela, including big drops in unemployment, poverty, illiteracy and infant mortality. And that was due to the same socialism that's now being decried and demonised. Number two, there are multiple reasons for the current crisis, from President Nicolas Maduro's mismanagement and corruption and authoritarianism, to the fall in the price of oil and Venezuela's general over-reliance on oil, to US sanctions, which have also been pretty crippling. To blame it all on unnamed socialist policies, as Trump did on Tuesday night, is just silly and dishonest. And number three, if socialism is inherently flawed as an economic doctrine, and Venezuela is supposedly proof of that, if it automatically leads to economic mismanagement and ruin, then how do you explain the economic success stories that are the Nordic countries, the likes of Sweden, Denmark and Norway, which have all in some way or another implemented socialist economic policies, engaged in state ownership of assets, had high rates of tax, universal health care, childcare and the rest, and yet have had massive economic growth? and are constantly voted the happiest places in the world with the best standards of living. Conveniently, Trump and Bloomberg and Fox News and co prefer not to talk about the Nordic countries or the famous post-war socialist Labour government in my own country, the UK, which gave us social security and the National Health Service, free universal health care from cradle to grave and an end to the British Empire. No, they prefer to go on and on about Venezuela or hark back to the Soviet Union. What's so ironic, though, is that in the same State of the Union speech in which Trump slammed Venezuelan socialism, he also had lots of praise for the leaders of actual Communist Party dictatorships. My relationship with Kim Jong-un is a good one. I have great respect for President Xi, and we are now working on a new trade deal with China. Surprise! Trump doesn't actually care about democracy or authoritarianism. He's just bashing socialism because... As my colleague Jeremy Scahill pointed out on Intercepted earlier this week, he wants to bring back the Cold War mindset of red-baiting and McCarthyism in order to try and intimidate and silence his growing army of critics on the US left. By the way, I mentioned Fox News. The nutcase right-wingers at Fox are really losing their minds over socialism right now. I've lived it, and I'm here to tell you socialism is just plain awful. And whatever your own views on socialism are... Surely that's something to celebrate and to savour. Earlier this week, for example, the Fox News website published an op-ed headlined, I kid you not, how to get your child to just say no to socialism. Yeah, it's like drugs. Just say no. The Fox News channel also hosted a discussion on air this week in which they basically, the presenters and their guest, shit themselves over their own polls, showing huge support across the board for higher taxes on the rich. Oh, and they also came up with their own unique explanation for it. Recent polling is showing that the American public is increasingly on board with raising taxes on the rich. We pulled up this latest Fox News poll on the issue, whether Americans support raising taxes on the wealthy, on incomes over 10 million bucks. Uh, those that are in favor of that, 70 percent, Charles. The idea of fairness has been promoted in our schools for a long time. And we're starting to see kids who grew up in this notion that fairness above all, uh, and, and, and now they're becoming voting age and they're bringing this uh, ideology with them. Yes, 
Kids being taught about fairness. Fairness is the real threat to America. That's the evil ideology behind socialism and support for socialist policies. Well, I'll be honest with you. If that's all it takes to win over Americans to socialism, then I suspect the capitalists in this country are screwed. My guest today is one of the most provocative and interesting writers on the left right now, and happily she has a perch at the Washington Post, where she's an opinion columnist. She's the author of op-eds with headlines such as It's Time to Give Socialism a Try and It's Time to Reclaim Socialism from the Dirty Word category. And she joins me now. Uh, Elizabeth Brunig, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Um, Were you surprised to hear President Trump go out of his way in his State of the Union speech to slam socialism, to say how alarmed he was by, quote, new calls to adopt socialism in our country? I didn't find it uh, surprising. I mean, I guess it's always a shock when you hear that kind of resurgence of Cold War rhetoric uh, in a a contemporary administration. Uh, But, uh, you know, some of Trump's most vocal challengers uh, have been... uh, self-identified socialist recently. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, comes to mind. She's been making big waves and getting a lot of media attention for her criticisms of Trump's administration. So on some level, uh, it didn't surprise me that he had picked up on where that criticism was coming from. Although interestingly, he never talks about her by name, which is a whole separate discussion. Um, how do you think Trump defines socialism, if I can even dare ask such a question about him understanding such concepts? I mean, he talked about, quote, government coercion, domination and control. What does he think socialism is? Yes, I, I think this uh, is is part and parcel of a, a pretty regular right wing definition of socialism that essentially defines socialism as the sort of worst criminal excesses of the USSR, uh, authoritarian, uh, anti human rights, uh, extremely dangerous and lethal, uh, and fails to identify socialism anywhere outside of essentially the USSR uh, in the mid late twentieth uh, century. And how do you define socialism then, specifically democratic socialism, which I think is what you and others on the U.S. left are advocating? Yeah, so yeah, exactly right. So democratic socialism uh, explicitly rejects authoritarian forms of socialism and says that uh, democracy and a democratic apparatus is essential to the kind of uh, government we want to see. Um, and then I think from there, the sort of organizing principle of democratic socialism is to move uh, as much of the economy as possible under democratic control. So uh, to return control of the economy uh, to the people at large instead of a small number of super rich people. And of course... This is one of the problems because it is such a contested term, as you yourself wrote in the post last year, that different people bring different meanings. Now, we can ignore the kind of bad faith interpretations from Trump and the right where, you know, socialism is basically, as you said, the USSR or even Venezuela, which we'll come to. But even within the left, there's an argument about socialism. I'm from the UK where... Many in the Labour Party, whether they're on the right and supported Tony Blair, whether they're on the left and support Jeremy Corbyn, they still identify as socialists because they interpret it in different ways. Some of them interpret it as public ownership of the means of production, the utility companies, etc. Others interpret it as a a doctrine of fairness, uh, of equality. And that's a problem, isn't it? That there's no single definition even within the left. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a fact that the left has sort of very contentious debates and probably more outside of the United States where socialism is more of a live political possibility. But even inside the American left, you see pretty vociferous debates over what the nature of socialism actually is. Just on the, in the terms of the rise of this term, we're now hearing the S word used more and more. How sustainable, how durable do you think this rise of socialism is? Or is it more of a flash in the pan? Well, I mean, I think that you're seeing uh, somewhat of a correction uh, to sort of the Cold War 
era efforts to totally tamp down the American left. Uh, and uh, the American security apparatus, the FBI, uh, has been very, very good at keeping the American left under control. And so uh, I think that as that Cold War era has ended and the attentions of the American security apparatus have kind of shifted to other things, um, you've seen a sort of resurgence of left energy uh, that I think is maybe frightening to Americans because it's reminiscent of that Cold War period, but it's not atypical of other countries of comparable development. It's really interesting what you say about the security apparatus, which is often overlooked, the, the role that the FBI and others actively played in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In, in suppressing uh, socialist movements um, and people like Martin Luther King, who identified towards the end of his life as a democratic socialist. People forget that. Um, but historically speaking, though, even pre-Cold War, um, there wasn't much of a socialist movement, popular socialist movement in the US. The US is the only advanced industrialized nation whose political system has never had a large mainstream socialist or even social democratic political party like the Labour Party in the UK or the French Socialist Party. The German sociologist Werner Sombart famously asked back in the 1880s, why is there no socialism in the United States? What's your answer to that question, taking a longer view of US history? Well, America uh, has a very, very intense liberal tradition. It has no pre-liberal history. In Europe, uh, all of these countries have political histories that stretch back before the rise of liberalism and the rise of capitalism. And in a lot of their uh, socialist rhetoric, especially from the 19th century, you see references to these sort of prior ways of life and ways of thinking about politics and even prior values the common good and so forth. Um, but in the United States, uh, we've always kind of lived in an environment politically that's hyper-individual, uh, that's expressly premised on a sort of atomized freedom and an atomized fairness. And, and these uh, ideas are pretty inimical uh, to socialism. And you, you factor in that uh, in the world wars, we, we sort of looked askance at socialism in the East. In the background was the growing struggle between two great powers to shape the post-war world. And considered ourselves in America as sort of the standard bearers of the Western tradition that at the time was in peril. On orders from the Kremlin, Russia had launched one of history's most drastic political, moral, and economic wars, a Cold War. And you see a pretty profound ideological commitment to capitalism emerge. American labor, management, and capital have made the United States the industrial master of the world. And that's why I think you, you end up seeing uh, the direction of sort of great American security apparatuses towards uh, mm. subduing the American left. 
And of course, one of the reasons why people were so surprised by the rise of Bernie Sanders in 2015, 2016, and how well he did, and since then he's continued uh, to kind of dominate political debate, one of the most popular politicians in the country. One of the reasons that's so surprising is because he's always proudly, unashamedly identified as a socialist, not just as a social democrat, in a country where socialism has historically been unpopular for the reasons you just laid out. Um, Right now, polls are showing that socialism is more popular with Democrats than capitalism is. Um, Although when you dig deep into those polls, It's more to do with the fact that capitalism has dropped in popularity, especially since the financial crisis, not because socialism has suddenly grown in popularity. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are still very spooked uh, by the word socialism and by the idea of socialism, and they do have those sort of authoritarian nightmares or believe that socialism, even sort of milder democratic forms of socialism like you see all over the place in Europe, they still sort of harbor a suspicion that those will inevitably lead to gulags. Um, And so there is a lot of skepticism. Uh, But, uh, you know, capitalism in the past couple of decades in the United States uh, hasn't really stood up for itself very well. As you point out, the financial crisis uh, put a lot of very sharp focus on how capital was sort of mismanaging economic resources that affect everybody. Yeah. And yet still, we've got to be honest here, as two lefties having a conversation, take a big picture look. Americans as a whole still much prefer capitalism to socialism. I think it's 56% to 37% according to a Gallup poll last year. If if you were asked to design a marketing campaign to uh, untaint or rebrand socialism, what would you do to try and push those numbers up, the 37% up? Yeah, I mean, I think I would I would emphasize the fact that socialism is a type of politics that's focused on democratic control Uh, So, you know, for democratic socialism, you look at the economy, you look at all the money in the economy and the way the resources function in the economy, and they're controlled by a really small number of people who are not accountable to anyone. Uh, However, the economy itself uh, to function relies on our state, right? It relies on our government, stuff that we all pay for, we all contribute to, and we all supposedly in a democracy have a say in. So what I would point out is that socialism just means taking some of those functions of the economy and making them accountable to you, the people. Uh, Given what happened with the sort of financial crisis in 2008, I don't think that would be too hard of a sell. And then I think that the other half of it is saying, look, socialism is about the common good. It's not about I get mine and, you know, good luck to you. It's about making sure that across the board, we have a certain existence minimum, a basic level of equality that all people can rely on. But what would you say to people on the left who say, well, hold on, that's what mainstream liberalism has always said. There's a very gray area here between what you're calling democratic socialism and, for example, liberalism of the FDR New Deal variety. People like Matt Stoller on the US left, the writer think tanker, he always says, you know, what all these young lefties are calling socialism is really what FDR was pushing. It's not necessarily socialism, is it, to call for the breakup of the banks or to call for higher progressive taxation or a higher minimum wage? Right. And I don't think that's all we're calling for. Um, but uh, so what, give, give me some other things that would distinguish a U.S. democratic socialism from a kind of FDR liberalism, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren view of the world. So uh, single payer universal health care uh, would would basically bring the healthcare industry uh, to some degree under democratic control. People would have a much greater say in how that industry functions uh, because the state would be funding it. Um, I think there have been a lot of great proposals along the lines of sovereign wealth funds, uh, which would uh, cause the state uh, to uh, buy up capital essentially and then return the dividends to the people. Um, And I think those are ideas that you don't typically see in that uh, mainstream liberal tradition. In fact, a lot of 2020 candidates who entered the race uh, 
talking a big game about single payer are now backing off of it for precisely that reason. You you start encountering sort of moderate voters uh, or even sort of uh, center-right Democrats who are active in the primaries, and they can certainly identify that those ideas are not very typical of a mainstream liberal position. I would say that... Kamala Harris came out against private health insurance, which I guess would make her a socialist by that definition. And, and the left and the left was really pleased with that. Um, and, and then the next day, her team sort of clarified, well, you know, she's open to that, but she's not going to prioritize it. Um, so you can but see it's some... even, even, even what you're describing still, sorry to put my European hat on, is not that left wing. I mean, the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, is backed even by conservative politicians, cradle to grave free health care. And I'm always amazed at how much hate Bernie Sanders gets, even from centrists in the US, as a socialist, as a lefty, when by international standards, as you know, he's not that left wing. Right. Compared to Jeremy I mean, Corbyn, for example. Well, yeah, the, the United States has to start somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> be, beca- because we don't have this tradition and because we're kind of starting from scratch, when you have institutions like the NHS in the UK, you already have proof of concept that these things work, can function, and that they're politically resilient. I think it's very important what you point out, that even conservatives in the UK are hesitant to recommend abolishing the NHS and replacing it with private insurance and private health care. And that's because it's a very politically resilient program. It affects everybody. Uh, and that's part of what socialists in the United States are arguing, is that if we had some of those programs, you might see more resilience in them than in the sort yes, of liberal solutions right. to the same problems like the ACA. What do you say to conservatives in the U.S., especially on Fox News, who get very worked up when people like yourself say, well, hold on, or Bernie says, you know, Nordic countries, forget USSR, forget Venezuela, look at the Nordic countries, look at Scandinavia, look at Denmark, etc. And they say, well, that's not socialism. That's a kind of mild social democracy. They're still working within a capitalist framework, working with markets. That's not fair for you to invoke them. What do you say in response to that? Okay, well, if it sounds capitalist to you, let's do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, if their view is that that's not socialism, then all right, why aren't we doing it? Good point. That's a good point. But what do you think? Do you personally believe that that is socialism? Do those countries count as socialist role models? Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at socialism as sort of a set of qualities, and then you can see uh, to what degree certain countries adopt those qualities. I think it's hard to identify a 51% mark where you become 51% socialist and are therefore a fully <laughs> socialist nation. Um, but you can look at certain it's indicators. Yeah, exactly. And and Norway, as a matter of fact, as my husband, Matt Brunig, who's a policy analyst, likes to point out, the state own, owns more of the nation's wealth than Venezuela. Um, so, you know, at least by that measure, it's more socialist. Um, and, and you see all kinds of strange definitions of socialism. Brett Stevens had an article about Venezuela that basically defines socialism as a type of economy where there's extreme mismanagement and some entitlement programs. <laughs> uh, well, that would mean the United States is already socialist. Um, That's a very good point. I think it's fair to say, you know, that well, programs... The United States that, is socialist for the rich. Yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, that that's certainly an aspect of it. But I think it's fair to say that if you're taking uh, major sectors of the economy and applying democratic control to them uh, and making them uh, universally accessible, you're moving towards socialism, even if you're not getting 100% there instantly. So before we finish, uh, let's go back to what we started with, the Trump State of the Union address. He was very keen to point out that Venezuela's, quote, socialist policies have turned it into an state of abject poverty. Uh, Michael Bloomberg said pretty much the same thing last week. What's your response to the constant invocation of Venezuela, 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 whenever anyone on the US left mentions socialism or criticizes capitalism or calls for higher taxes? Well, look, you can look at other socialist countries or other countries, let's look at it this way, that have the same kinds of economic practices 
at least in theory, that Venezuela has uh, that haven't totally collapsed. So there are other self-described socialist states with a huge oil supply. Norway is is the one that comes to mind, obviously, uh, and it hasn't collapsed. And when you compare them, uh, one of the differences is that oil that Norway chose to manage its oil supply differently and in, in such a way that it became less sensitive to price shocks in the global oil market. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that a lot of conservatives want to describe uh, sort of mistakes in economic management or the mistakes in resource management in socialist countries as an inherent aspect of socialism, as though private industry would necessarily do it better. Um, yeah. But I don't think that either one is the case, right? You see lots of countries struggle with resource curses, uh, and it's not just socialist countries. That's true. But you'd concede that the crisis in Venezuela, whether we like it or not, has provided critics of socialism, defenders of capitalism with a rather easy and handy talking point, especially given the likes of UK Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, among others, were praising the Venezuela model until not so long ago. Yeah, I mean, I think that the less you know about what actually triggered the crisis in particular, the easier it is to chalk it up to just sort of uh, mysterious socialist forces. The more you know about it, the more complicated the picture is. And I think that's the case with most crises. And Trump said on Tuesday night that, quote, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country, to which lots of Democrats clapped along. Uh, Is he right? Do you think America will ever be a socialist country? It's kind of hard to envision right now. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's this uh, this great quote, right, um, that it's easier to envision the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Yes, Mark Fisher, I think it was. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely in Mark Fisher. Uh, and, and it certainly seems the case, right? So uh, how, how would America as a socialist country even look? Uh, but stranger things have happened in terms of economic development, right? In terms of the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom was once a major colonial power uh, relying on a kind of mercantilism to support itself, was hyper-capitalist, um, and, and then slowly over time, due to things that were not necessarily foreseeable, changed. Uh, and it hasn't 100% transformed into something that you can't even identify as what the United Kingdom was in 1820, but it's changed quite a bit. And so yeah. we have plenty of time, I think, I hope, uh, and I think that you can see the energy for some of those changes already. One of my pet theories is that Republicans have been uh, some of the best helpers of the socialist cause in recent years. Remember how they went on and on about Obama being a socialist and a Marxist? They devalued the term as an insult. They made it less scary, less demonic, because if Barack Obama is a socialist, it can't be that bad or extreme, a lot of Americans in the middle might say. And now Trump attacking socialism, I think, is great for socialism. Anything Trump attacks seems to get very popular. Yeah, and I think that Trump seeming to be sort of spooked by the sort of new socialist politicians on the scene uh, will help them with voters. We can only hope so. Liz Brunig, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you for having me. That was Elizabeth Brunig of The Washington Post. She mentioned the famous quote that it's easier to imagine an end to the world than an end to capitalism. And lefties like myself completely identify with that. We tend to be pessimistic about winning over millions of people to democratic socialism, especially in a country like the US, which is obsessed with free markets and capitalism and consumerism and hyper-individualism, as Liz put it. But what's funny right now is that it's the right, it's the defenders of capitalism, who are shit-scared that their neoliberal brand of capitalism in particular, minimal taxes on the rich, zero regulation, over-mighty corporations, is on the way out 
and that socialism, whether it's the mild Nordic version or the more meatier Jeremy Corbyn British version with public ownership of industry, is on the way in. Hence the constant fear-mongering and demonization and references to Venezuela. But here's the thing. When Trump attacks something, he tends to make it more popular. Immigration, for example, is more popular with the American public than it's ever been. Support for free trade is up too. I suspect Trump going after socialism by name on Tuesday night in his State of the Union will only embolden US socialists like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and make a new generation of ordinary Americans start looking into what socialism actually is and how it might benefit them, especially a bespoke American socialism at the expense of the rich, at the expense of big corporations, at the expense of Donald Trump himself. So I guess for once, the left should maybe thank the president of the United States. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.